Hey, it's Travis, and I do not super have a lot of announcements for this episode, gang. Uh, I can't announce any of the new business yet. It's not quite ready. And there's no updates on any of the old business right now. They're drawing the zine. And, uh, you know. So there's just trespasses stuff today. Joining the cast this episode, Christy Bolton, who is just fantastic. Had a lot of fun cutting her performance together. Welcome, Christy. Also, you may have noticed in the credits that Graham is playing a character in this one. Listen. I don't like to tell people how to enjoy their hotel. Canon lives in your heart, not in my head. But I am just going to let you know, right now, there is no big dot to connect or owner story setup thing. I just could not bear the thought of doing the miniseries and not having Graham on. Mark and Kelly do the guests, you know, and it felt weird not having them. Um, side note, there is a small chance that next month's episodes, the final two trespasses, will come out on the 15th and 30th. We'll see. If there's no new episode up on the 1st, then you have to wait. Uh, okay, that's it. Let's get trespassing. Beneath the comforting, rational layers of the everyday, there lies the bedrock of the truth. Sometimes ugly, sometimes terrifying, there is nevertheless a reality there worth seeking. We scrape away the strata of our perception. We expose what has been hidden, what has been censored, what has been buried under lies. I'm Cecilia Burnham, and this is Trespasses. The disappearance of Helen Krauser, known to our collective memory as Noreen, was a case I had wanted to delve into for a long time. I had expected to find frustrations and revelations about the woman beneath the public image, but what I had not expected was to set off on a road that led far, far deeper than the vanishing of one person. I knew I had stumbled onto something greater, though I could not fully articulate it at the time. I have not yet fully realized the path I am on, but I have gone further down it. The next stop on that path is Jacob Withers. Unlike Noreen, it is unlikely you have heard of Jacob Withers. I hadn't either, until I felt compelled to expand my search to other disappearances that all met a certain handful of criteria. I couldn't come up with a comprehensive list of boxes a case had to tick to grab my attention. Not yet, but already I was finding cases that gave me that same barely-grasped feeling as Noreen's. Debbie Houston, a magazine editor from New York who vanished on a business trip to Richmond, Virginia in 2002. Her job was high-paying enough that a kidnapping for ransom was discussed as a motive, but no ransom demand was ever made and she was never found. Eric Brune, who split his time between computer programming and hanging around the beaches of Southern California, who went on a road trip to see friends in Santa Rosa 
during the fall of 1998 and never arrived. Police speculated he had gone on a bad drug trip and wandered into the ocean or off a cliff. His family sued them for what they said was willful negligence investigating his disappearance. Perry Sherwin, a tech entrepreneur who was on his way to a conference in Phoenix when he vanished in 2010. His case gained more public attention since he was rich and notorious for his abrasiveness and vanity music-producing projects, but in spite of the eyes on his disappearance, he was never found. These all had notes in common with Noreen. The main connection was that they had all disappeared while away from home, in transit from one place to the next, and due to check into a hotel. That alone wasn't enough to group them together. After all, they were greatly separated in time and location, and the missing were as different from one another as could be. But there was another factor that linked them that a police officer or armchair detective might miss, and that only became apparent to me after delving into Helen Krauser and the vanishing of Noreen. I still haven't been able to fully articulate it, which, as a journalist, gives me no end of frustration. But a case where I felt it the most keenly was that of Jacob Withers. Those are the words of Alan Mars, a city manager in Pocatello, Idaho, where Jacob Withers lived along with his wife and two children. Withers was in a dispute with the city over an extension he planned to build onto his house, which contravened city regulations and brought him into conflict with Mr. Mars's office. We have no statements from Jacob Withers' family, and I was unable to contact them for comment, so Mr. Mars is the closest I could get to someone who knew Jacob Withers personally. We must have had uh, 10 or 12 meetings. Each time he'd dug up some new precedent or bylaw that he said put him in the right. He was never wrong, not totally, but he was always on pretty shaky ground. I get the feeling this wasn't just about having a bigger garage. He wanted to beat us. He had to win. <laughs> and he loved to complain. Oh boy kept him waiting too long, or we were trying to rush him, we didn't keep him in the loop, or we were bombarding him with letters and phone calls. There was a joke in the office that we'd invented him as a training tool to get new guys used to dealing with people who couldn't hear and know. I, I won't lie, we, we used him for that sometimes. Mr. Withers always wore a suit. It was the same one, or he had lots of them. He was tall, kind of thin, with a pinched look and a real small mouth. His voice would get higher the more frustrated he got. As soon as things didn't go his way, he'd get into this state where he just wouldn't budge. Not on anything. We could have given him permission for what he wanted if he just compromised on some aspects, but he wouldn't. And he'd try to escalate, threatening to get in lawyers and sue us, like if he pushed it far enough, we would crumble. By the time he left the office, he was bright red in the face and muttering under his breath. 
Sometimes I wondered if he would turn out to be one of those guys who was stockpiling guns or building an armored bulldozer to get revenge on the conspiracy that was ruining his life. We joked about that, too. But it wasn't really a joke. In October 1998, Jacob Withers told his wife he was on his way to Salt Lake City on business, as he had countless times before. He worked for an accounting firm, and one of their clients was in the city, meaning he had to visit their central offices regularly. He packed an overnight bag and drove away in their Plymouth breeze. He never returned. The investigation into Withers' disappearance began three days afterwards, when Withers' concerned wife told police he had not called during the trip as was his habit, and had still not returned. They asked Withers' employer which client he had been working with, to be told they had no clients in Salt Lake City. This revelation led to the facade of Withers' life falling apart. The times he was in Salt Lake City, his employer thought he was working from home. His telephone records and internet activity indicated he was conducting an entirely separate life with another family in the city, completely unknown to his wife and children in Pocatello. This second family was quickly identified and questioned, and alleged they had no idea of Withers' life in Pocatello either. Amelia de Leon was Withers' girlfriend in Salt Lake City, and for more than two and a half years, she believed she was his only partner. She had three children from a previous marriage and worked in the city as a makeup artist. De Leon went public to appeal for information about Withers' disappearance, against police advice, and later did interviews for local media to try to keep the case current in the public consciousness. Aside from the details of his personal life, the only significant lead was the car. The Withers' Plymouth Breeze was found parked by the side of the Veterans Memorial Highway towards Salt Lake City. Withers' wallet and keys were not inside, leading police to believe he had left it voluntarily. The car had no other evidentiary value, with only the family's fingerprints inside and no bloodstains or other signs of foul play. The investigation was not a priority for the police. Since Withers was living a double life, the most likely scenario was he had chosen to disappear, to disentangle himself from the situation before it collapsed around him. Though the case was officially never closed, the police believed Withers had either changed vehicles by the side of the highway to help himself vanish more easily, or had walked off into the wilderness. There were no signs of him having traveled by air or left the country, and his social security number and bank accounts went unused, so they speculated he had found a false identity and was living under it elsewhere. De Leon insisted otherwise, pointing out that Withers had not drained his bank account or made any other visible arrangements to vanish and reinvent himself, but the case disappeared into the unending to-do pile of law enforcement. On a personal note, it was with great relief I found the trove of Amelia de Leon's interviews and public statements. Aside from the recollections of people who knew Jacob Withers only through altercations, they represent the sole insight into who he was, beyond an anecdote about a man with two families. Of course, people have asked me how I could not have known about Jacob's other family. But I tell them, I'm not stupid. If it happened to you, if it was someone close to you, would you know? 
If he says he's going to be away for another week or that he can only be around for the weekends for a few months because of work, would you assume he was seeing a wife you knew nothing about? No. You would believe him. You would think... You would have no reason to think it was a lie. He said he was a salesman who went all over the country. He made good money. So why was I think it was not true? Jacob was good to us. When we were... When we were out of the house, he had this... Tension in him. He would be short with people, like waiters and cashiers. Sometimes he would blow up at them and be stubborn and angry. But with us... It was like he could relax. I said to him it was like we were his nest, where he could come home and be safe. He called our home his nest after that. I'm flying home to roost this weekend, he would say. I hear a lot about how wicked he must have been, and that he was a liar and a terrible man. I can't say that is all wrong, knowing what I know now. But the man I knew was kind. He spent all this time with us. He spent all the time with us he could. We would talk for hours, and he was always good to us. My kids loved him, too. I'm not such a fool to think he was perfect. Of course, he lied to us for a long time. And he lied to his wife, too, who I feel very sorry for. But there was more to him than that. I was angry when I found out the truth. But I still miss him. No matter what you think of him, he does not deserve to be forgotten. I will keep asking the questions until I know what happened to him. Hey, this is Travis with a brief ad break. Thanks for listening. Now back to The Hotel. Amelia's voice is a lone one. Nobody else has been looking for Jacob Withers, and his family in Pocatello are said to have moved out of the area and put the whole thing far behind them. But like with Noreen, where the story ended for most, it began for me. Jacob Withers's case had that same quality to it I had found with the Noreen disappearance. The sense that the world was missing something, that there was a crack in the mirror reflecting the story back at us. The elements did not all fit together. It was just a feeling, a hunch, if you will, of the kind I was familiar with from my days as an investigative reporter. Nothing substantive, nothing I could write down or argue from. Then I found the series of voicemails Jacob Withers sent Amelia de Leon. They were the last confirmed communication with him, And though they were dismissed as lies used by Withers to set up his disappearance, to me, they became something far more. Amelia, honey, I'm on my way. Uh, Don't expect me before the morning. I got started later than I thought. I may have to drive through the night, but I'm coming back to the nest soon. Hey there, me again. There are workmen on the highway. Don't even think they're fixing anything. Now they have to send them out to waste everyone's time or their budgets get cut. But I'm thinking of you, so I don't get too snippy.
Okay there, honey. We're moving again. At this rate, I might as well find a place to sleep for the night and make the rest of the drive in the morning. Come to think of it, I shouldn't be driving when I'm this tired. Sorry to drag it out so much. I want to be there in the nest with you. So, I found a place by the highway. I'm pulled in there now. It's called the Cozy Corner Motel, if you can believe that. Looks like a flea pit, but uh, you know what they say. Any port in a storm. I'll see you in the morning. Good night, Amelia, honey. Hope I dream of you. Gators dismissed these calls as misdirection to hide Withers' plans to abandon his families and start anew somewhere else. The reason they were so easy to ignore was that there is no Cozy Corner Motel on Veterans Memorial Highway or anywhere else within thousands of miles. There's nowhere with a similar name. There never has been. And there was no motel of any name anywhere near where Withers' car was found. If his last words were a lie, they indicate he chose to leave both his families, Amelia de Leon included. In all of the interviews I saw of her, there was pain in her eyes whenever the question of those last words came up. That Jacob would leave her without a word, with no warning, that he would leave her children behind, that he would never again return to the place he had made his shelter from a world that infuriated him, that was a betrayal and a bereavement almost too much for her to bear. Did she maintain Jacob Withers was the victim of foul play, not because she believed something awful had happened to him, but because that was easier to stomach than the idea he had abandoned her? Most investigators and commentators believe so. The tone of the few articles written about the Withers case paint Amelia as a tragic and naive figure, still trying to grasp the affection of a man who had used and rejected her. It's an easy picture to accept as the truth. It fits perfectly into the narrative that accrued around Jacob Withers' disappearance, like barnacles on a ship. I might have believed it too, before I placed Jacob Withers' case into a pool of missing persons defined by those same characteristics I saw in Noreen. I looked deeper. I tried to find every scrap of information on the case, looking for that piece that did not fit, that flaw that would cause the whole established narrative to shatter and fall. I found it in an article from a local newspaper in 2001, a little under three years since Jacob Withers last made that call. Hikers seeking shelter in an abandoned farm building half a mile from the Veterans Memorial Highway found a laptop computer, apparently left there a long time before. The hard drive was damaged by damp and dust, but they recovered enough data to confirm it had belonged to Jacob Withers. Their Samaritan's effort to return the hard drive opened up the cold case. This piece of evidence did not in itself prove or disprove any of the theories around what had happened to Withers. He could have left it there while wandering into the wilderness, as many suspected he had done in a sort of long-term suicide. He could have used the building as a place to hide out while waiting for an accomplice to join him with a new vehicle. The rest of the data on the laptop was fragmentary and mundane. 
Most of it was related to Withers' accountancy work. Hundreds of saved emails were recovered, all of them to or from his employer and their clients. The sole item of interest was in a scheduling program. Jacob Withers' juggling of two families required considerable organization. Withers used a program to keep track of when he was due to spend time with which partner and what he was telling the other he was doing. More than two years of such duplicity was captured there in dates and times. None of that was a revelation to investigators. The day after he vanished, among the details of time he was due to spend with Amelia, Jacob had scheduled an appointment with a Fairbanks. There was no detail aside from the name. It might have been a first name or a surname, a man or a woman, perhaps a company. There was no one named Fairbanks in Withers' life or work, as far as anyone could tell. A tiny detail, hardly enough to be a mystery. But to me, it was the crack in the facade. The mirror broke, and I saw through it. The story we have been told is a lie. No one person concocted it. There was no conspiracy to keep us ignorant about what really happened to Jacob Withers. The lie grows naturally from the assumptions we make, from the story we want to see. But it is still a lie. Helen Krauser and Jacob Winters. Noreen and the two-family man. Both of them vanished. Both of them going, or claiming to go, into a hotel or motel both of them leaving behind a single piece of evidence that should have a wealth of information, but turned out to only have a single obscure clue that a regular investigator would dismiss as irrelevant. And most crucially, that factor that linked them both in my mind, so frustratingly intangible, it took until after I learned of the laptop to be able to put it into words. Noreen and Jacob Withers were both ready to disappear. I don't mean they somehow deserved to vanish or that they brought it on themselves. I'm not victim-blaming or trying to dismiss the distress their absence created. I mean they had a quality that meant the world was done with them or they had lost their place in it. Helen Krauser had presented the face of Noreen to the public and been rejected. Jacob Withers had tied his life into an impossible knot seeking both affection and a way to show it. We only see the world distorted and reflected back to us. But there are cracks in that mirror, and people like Jacob Withers and Helen Krauser fall through them. It's not the most journalistic observation, of course. It's a feeling, an emotion or vibration attached to certain missing persons. There were other cases, too, the ones I mentioned at the start of this podcast, and many more. They were scattered across the country and across who knows how many decades. Even as I skimmed the details of these vanishings, I began to see other, more prosaic connections. A hotel. A single piece of evidence out of place, apparently devoid of meaning except to someone who was looking from the right angle. A complete vanishing. No body. No sightings. No contact. I don't know where Jacob Withers is. I don't know what happened to him by the side of the Veterans Memorial Highway. 
I do know it wasn't as simple as either taking on a new identity in another state or walking off into the wilderness to die. I don't know if there was a Cozy Corner motel either, or what Fairbanks was. Those aren't the mysteries I'm trying to solve. I am starting to see past the mirror and through the cracks. Whether it was deliberate or by accident, or by another's malice, these people left our world. That might mean they're in another world, or it might mean they're physically still here, but in a way we cannot perceive. I find my vocabulary faltering when I try to explain it. Safe to say, it is with absolute certainty I perceive this with every faculty I have. I am at the head of a path leading towards a truth greater than any I have discovered in my career. Helen Krauser and Noreen were the gate. Jacob Withers showed me I was heading the right way. I am continuing down that path, and I will not stop until I reach the end. The place the world puts people who no longer belong in it. The door they walk through. The pit they fall into. Whatever form it takes, it's waiting for me to find it. Perhaps I am the only one who can see it. If so, I will try to let you see too. Stay with me on the path. Take the turns I take. See it out until the end. Keep listening, because I will never stop looking. Trespasses Episode 2, Jacob Withers, starred Anne Yatko as Cecilia Burnham, Graham Rowett as Alan Mars, Christy Bolton as Amelia DeLeon, and Mark Witten as Jacob Withers. Story by Pacific Obadiah, Travis McMaster, and Ben Counter. Written by Ben Counter. Music by Matt Roy Berger. <laughs>